Father, this morning we have come to the hearing of the word. Your word says the entrance of your word brings light. And God is light. And there is no darkness in him. If your light does not enter our hearts and our minds, O God, we will dwell in darkness. What your word says, O Lord, those who dwelt in darkness, those who dwelt in darkness saw a marvelous light. Today I pray, Father, not I, but you will speak. Your spirit will speak. And even those who are not used to listening for long hours, your spirit will constrain them. Your spirit will grip their hearts and minds that they will be able to focus on what you are trying to tell. Allow distractions to fall away. And their hearts and minds are set on God. The Lord who will be coming very soon. Touch us, O Lord. This morning, we need a touch from you. That with confidence and with courage, without fear, we'll enter into the fifth month. Speak to us. Teach us. Empower us to face these days. Uncertain days. Absolutely certain, God. Teach us, Lord. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 When you turn to Revelation 22, verse 20 to 22, very easy to find in your Bible. Those are the last verses in the Bible. He who testifies to these things say, Surely, I'm coming quickly. Amen. Even so come Lord Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. These are the last verses in the Bible. He who testifies to these things says, who is that? Jesus, the Spirit of God, says, surely I am coming quickly. Amen. So the title of today's message, if it has not been there earlier, is Rapture or Capture. You can choose. God has left the choice to us. The last words recorded in the Bible. Actually, the most anticipated event in human history. The second coming of the Lord. This was a message the Lord laid upon my heart. This past week. And you wouldn't believe as I was coming from the other church. I have one of my kids. Message on WhatsApp. Guess it's from Australia. Guess the message comes in. I saw it only at around 8.45. It came in saying, Rapture versus second coming. An entire PDF practically on what I'm speaking today. 
asking a question. Then I'm almost near Jivan Jyoti. And there is an SUV in front of me. I checked the vehicle too. It was Ford. And on the back of that vehicle, just before I turned, was Amen, even, Amen, even so, come Lord quickly. Now I'm not saying these are coincidences and divine, this thing, but you know, in the mouth of two witnesses, let the word be established. Quickly? Surely I am coming quickly? 2,000 years have passed by. It was written almost 2,000 years ago. Behold, I am coming quickly. 2,000 years have passed by. Don't be a scoffer. Second Peter. Chapter 3. 3-7. to <clears throat> Knowing this first, the scoffers will come in the last days. First, scoffers will come. So don't be a scoffer. Walking according to their own lusts and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. For this they willingly forget, that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and earth standing out of water and in the water, by which the world that then existed perish, being flooded with water then. But the heavens and the earth which are now, preserved by the same word, are reserved for fire until the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. And then verse 8 and 9. It says, The Lord is not slack, but beloved, do not forget this one thing. Do not forget this one thing. What is that? With the Lord, one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. So if I be God going to say, Behold, I'm coming quickly in two days. Will you say it's long? Two days, if he says, I'm coming. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, <coughs> but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So remember one thing, in heaven, time is not measured according to our clock. So when you are looking into things in heaven, written from heaven, don't go by this. Put your watch away. God's timing, God's time does not work on man's parameters. And verse 10 says, but, it's a day coming, but, the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. It will be unexpected. Unless you are expecting it, it will be unexpected. In which the heavens will pass away with a great noise. And the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Don't get napping. Don't get caught unawares. The New Testament is written to the church. Actually, the whole Bible is written to the church. The Jews who read the Bible don't get anything out of it. Until the Jew turns to Christ, he reads the Bible with a veil over his eyes. 
But he, when he turns to Christ, the veil is lifted and he starts understanding his own scripture. So the, practically the whole Bible is written first for them, because it is, we got everything through them. And Jesus himself in his incarnation, being a Jew from the tribe of Judah. But we understand it better. It is written to the church. And the greatest hope of the church, the believing church, is the second coming of Jesus Christ. Yet it is the best kept secret in heaven. Every generation before us, every generation of believers lived in this hope of his coming. Every generation lived in this hope. In Matthew 24 and verse 36, but of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my father only. Not even Gabriel, who is a messenger. Not even Michael, who is an archangel in charge of Israel. None of them know. Nobody knows. And Jesus is coming. Verse 42. Watch therefore for you do not know what hour your Lord is coming. And verse 44. Therefore you also be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Context wise is talking to the Jews but practically it is a warning. It's a warning. For all of us sitting here there are two certainties. One is death. Hebrews 9.27 It's appointed unto man to die once. After this the judgment. But supposing you and I happen to be the generation when Jesus comes, then it is not death. It's verse 28. So Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many. To those who eagerly wait for him, he will appear a second time apart from sin for salvation. So either it can be death and you meet the Lord, or he comes, you meet the Lord. Two certainties for the last generation. Either you die and meet the Lord, or he comes and you don't die. You meet the Lord. The question is not about his coming. The question is, confusion is always about when is he coming? Before tribulation? After tribulation? Mid-tribulation? This, this message is to the church. Therefore, the second coming of Jesus Christ is not up for debate within the church. Let the outside people debate. Don't worry. But for us, it's not for debate. I'm going to read scripture. Okay? Please give the next 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 12 scriptures one by one. Okay? Let's read. So that you come short in no gift, eagerly waiting for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ. Next one. If anyone does not love the Lord Jesus Christ, let him be accursed. O Lord, come. This is how the church lived. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Let your gentle, gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. His coming is at hand. Next one. And to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. Therefore, let us not sleep as others do. Let us watch and be sober. Next one. 
that you keep this commandment without spot, blameless, until our Lord Jesus Christ appearing. Looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ. Keep yourself in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. Behold, I am coming quickly. Hold fast what you have that no one may take your crown. Behold, I am coming quickly. Behold, is he who keeps the words of the prophet. Blessed is he who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. And behold, I am coming quickly and my reward is with me to give everyone according to his work. And the spirit and the bride say, come and let him who hears say, come and let him who thirsts come. Who are desires, let him take the water of life freely. And he who testifies to these things says, surely I am coming quickly. Amen. Even so, come Lord Jesus Christ. I just gave you 13. The New Testament is full of the hope of the people of the coming of Jesus Christ. Every generation lived with this hope. So it's not up for debate. The only question is what are we hoping for? Because faith is the substance of things hoped for. Your faith will take the direction of what you are hoping. So if you are living in the blessed hope of the coming of the Lord, everything will change. The way you look at life, the way you look at trouble, the way you look at everything. When, when uh, Paul, Paul is writing from the prison, and there is an issue, and he's encouraging them, and there is an issue in the church and everything. Do you know what he says? Let your gentleness be evident or known to all men. He says, be gentle and kind to everybody. Why? Because when you're shouting, he may come. When you're screaming at your wife, that's maybe when he may come. Because the Lord's coming his hand. He says, nobody knows when he'll be coming. Nobody knows. Live in that expectancy, not in fear. But in that expectancy that he can come any time. All the verses are talking about primarily an imminent coming of Jesus Christ. Only thing the date and the hour is not given. That is the suspense. You need to understand. If the coming of the, the, the Lord, the expectancy is not real for the first century church. It is not real for any church in any generation. Today our children talked about God being the God of generation to generation. If it is not real. Because old covenant you need to realize. A promise is given to Abraham that your seed will possess this land. It's a promise. And that promise is passed on to Isaac. Isaac lives with that promise. Jacob lives with that promise. Then Joseph goes to Egypt, or rather is sent out to Egypt. And then he lives, he brings his family. They die in Egypt. And Joseph's last words are that, don't bury me in Egypt. Embalm me and keep my body because God is faithful. And when God takes his people to Israel, to the promised land, take my... So they all lived and died in hope. But their hope was very, very temporal, connected to a piece of real estate on earth. Our hope is not that. Our hope is completely different. It's not connected with a piece of land. It's not connected with this material world. It is connected with something greater and eternal. And you, if you live without that hope, you cannot face the challenges that you are already going through and the world is going through. I mean, um, where is Avinash? 
Yeah, Avinash posted on the GTC men's group a video. It's, I, I'd seen that before. It's a very powerful video. Maybe I can put it, post it on the church group. You listen to that video. You will see how the world system is preparing for the Antichrist. Absolutely targeted, absolutely disciplined. They are getting ready. The question is, what is the church getting ready for? They're getting ready to bring the Antichrist into power. Every system is being set into motion. That's why I said the past three days, 28, 29, 30, three days, the, all the witches and the wizards and the servants of Satan is gathering at the church of Satan in Boston. It's the 10th anniversary of that Boston mass massacre. And they're gathering there for these three days. They are gathering there. And they are invoking all kinds of things. It's gone mainstream, public. It is there on the news. It's on the mainline news. They are gathering without no fear. I was telling the church that if they had done this 200 years ago, all of them would have been burned at the stake. That was America. You would not have the courage to step out and do your wizardry and sorcery 200 years ago because the, the country was so absolutely strongly conservative and Christian. Today, they are coming out openly. But the church is aware. There are a lot of people in Boston. The church has gathered in Boston to pray, including people from our own churches are there praying in Boston because you don't fear. Because the Bible says, submit to God and resist the devil and he shall flee. He shall flee. Behold, I give you power over all the power of the enemy. You have to believe what he has said and take your stand against his powers, principalities, rulers, when the day of evil is upon us. Okay. So they are preparing. The question is, what are we preparing? Okay. We'll go back 2000, around 2600 years, we'll go back in time. The most eschatologic, eschatology is coming about the second coming of Jesus Christ. The most eschatological book in the Old Testament is the book of Daniel. Honestly, and Daniel was seeking something else. You know, many of the discoveries made by the, the earlier scientists who were very believers were accidents. They were searching for something and they found something else. He was studying the book of Jeremiah, the prophecies to see when Israel will go back to the promised land. And because he was searching and searching, he got revelations about when Jesus was coming back and how Israel's history is connected with that. He didn't understand about the gap in that 70 weeks. He didn't understand. Nobody understood because the church was a mystery that is hidden. Nobody understood. It is revealed through Apostle Paul. The mystery was revealed. God hid our story from the eyes of everybody. No prophet understood it. That Jesus would have a bride, which would be mainly Gentiles and a few Jews who would be converted and become Christians. It was a mystery. So as he was studying, he ran his stumbled literally into a revelation of what would be in the last days connected with Israel's history. Like I said, he had no idea about the church. So if you go to the final chapter of Daniel, which is Daniel 12, some verses which I have put up over there, but you, <coughs> you Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall increase. So there, are, there is a prophecy also over there, which we says, when the end comes, knowledge will increase. 
Now today, humanly possible, there is no man, doesn't matter even if he's a genius who can catch up with the knowledge, exponential increase of knowledge. It is impossible, even if you narrow, like the human body has been divided by our doctors, you have from your eyebrows to your toes, you have specialists. Because it's not possible for any doctor to study the whole human body because so much knowledge is available. So much is available. Knowledge has, and everybody is running to and fro. And even if you're not running and to and fro on the internet, you're running to and fro, to and fro, to and fro, to and fro. Certain things which are written is possible only in the last days. But something was told to Daniel. Seal the book. And verse 7 and 8. I heard the man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the river when he held up his right hand and his left hand to heaven and swore by him who lives forever that it shall be for a time, times and half a time. And when the power of the holy people has been completely shattered, all these things shall be finished. It is talking about Israel. It's not talking about us, the three and a half years, time, times and half a times. Okay. Although I heard, I did not understand. Then I said, my Lord, what shall be the end of these things? He heard, he didn't understand. Because you don't ever think, read the book of Revelation and say, I understand. That means you didn't understand. Okay. That is why there is so many debate over the book of Revelation. And nobody fully understands. The man who wrote it in that vision, he didn't understand. Okay. And then, next verse. He said, go your way, Daniel, for the words are closed up. The words are closed up and sealed till the time of the end. It is sealed till the time of the end. It will be opened only when the end begins. Till then it is sealed. Many shall be purified, made white and refined, but the wicked shall do wickedly and none of the wicked shall understand, but the wise shall understand. And from that time, the daily sacrifice is taken away and the abomination of desolation is set up. There shall be 1,290 days. These things haven't happened. It will happen. Blessed is he who waits and comes to the 1,335 days. But you go your way till the end, for you shall rest and will arise to your inheritance at the end of the day. So there is a resurrection for Daniel also promised. See, resurrection is not very clear in the Old Covenant. That's why you had the Pharisees and the Sadducees. The Pharisees believed in resurrection. Sadducees did not believe in resurrection. And Paul was a very smart man. When they both came against him, he put this question of resurrection and made them fight with each other and walked away. But it is there. So it is, it is sealed. It is sealed. That's what I said, you can't blame the Old Covenant prophets and the Old Covenant people because under something is unsealed, you cannot know what it means. So when did the unsealing begins? Look at how Peter explains it in First Peter verses, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation or the end of our faith is when our soul is completely, totally saved. Okay, that's the end that we should work to get. So not by faith receiving healing and resources. All that is good. But the end of it is that my soul is completely saved from every influence of this world and of the demonic. Completely saved. And next. Of this salvation, the prophets have inquired and searched carefully who prophesied of the grace that would come to you. That is Jesus. 
searching what or what manner of time the spirit of Christ who was in them was indicating when he testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. To them it was revealed that not to themselves but to us they were ministering the things which now have been reported to you. He says, they were speaking these things, like Daniel, all of them, were speaking these things through the Spirit of God, but they did not understand what they were speaking. But they were ministering to us. Ministering to us. Which have been reported to you through those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Things which the angels... Even the angels do not know about the second coming of Jesus Christ. Jesus said, not even the angels know. So the angels are listening to today's message to see if I can get some clue when he is coming. Because they do not know. This is the most well-kept secret in heaven. I believe only the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit know. Nobody knows. We can assume, we can get clues, we can understand from signs and all. But the exact day and the hour, nobody knows. But... Things of Christ's coming is revealed to the church and through the church. All covenant prophets did not know. So do you know when the unsealing began? The unsealing of the Bible began. Let us see. John 20, how it begins. 20, verse 22. When he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. Resurrection Sunday evening. He breathes. Now you have. It, it begins like that. Okay. It begins with the leadership and then goes to the laity. You need to have a leadership before you can have a congregation, right? So he breathes, and the leadership receives the Holy Spirit. That is the eleven disciples, the twelve of them who are there. And what happens as a result? Luke twenty four forty five. Twenty Oh, I'm sorry. He opened the eyes of their understanding so that they could understand the scriptures. See, if you do not have the spirit within you, your eyes cannot be opened because everything written in the Bible is God-breathed. And the people who spoke, spoke through the spirit. So God is Jesus. He's opened their understanding. These are the people who were with him for three and a half years. He were with, they were with him. They ministered in his name. They cast out demons, healed. They did all kinds of things, but they didn't understand scripture. It's not that they did not read scripture. It's not that they heard scripture. They could not understand scripture because to understand the scripture, the one who unlocks is the spirit of God. So he breathes upon them, says, receive the Holy Spirit. And after that, he opens their understanding so that they could comprehend the <coughs> scripture. So there is this person. The person of the Holy Spirit in John 16 and verse 13, he says, when the spirit of truth comes, when, okay, I didn't give all that. Oh, I'm sorry. John 16 and verse 13. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. All truth. When he comes, see, we are on the road of truth. On the road to truth. No, on the road to truth. And the spirit of truth has to come. He is the one who will show us. And he doesn't speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears. So Jesus did not speak on his own. He only spoke what he hears. So everything proceeds from the Father. And the Holy Spirit is the revelator. So there is this person of the Holy Spirit who lives in each believer. 
And then there is how he does it, which is written in 1 John. Yeah? Did I give that also? Did I miss? Yeah. These things I have written you concerning those who try to deceive you. What is that? The anointing which you have received from him. Okay? The anointing which you receive from the Holy Spirit. So when Jesus begins his ministry, the first thing he says is, The Spirit of the Lord has anointed me. And then he speaks. Okay, so there is the spirit, the person, and then there is his anointing. The anointing abides in you. You do not need anyone teach you, but as the same anointing teaches you concerning all things and is true and is not a lie. And just as it has taught you, you will abide in What does it mean? What it means is this, that you are not dependent upon me teaching you. You're dependent upon the anointing that is rest upon you to understand what God is speaking through me. You are not dependent upon human. Then you will go into error. That if I go wrong, the anointing will tell you that is wrong. But you have to come to that point. You are dependent upon these two. One, the person of the Holy Spirit and the anointing of the Holy Spirit that you consciously seek these both. One, Lord, have I grieved you? Have I grieved you as a person? Lord, have I grieved you? And you always are right with the Spirit. If you are right with the Spirit of God, you are right with the Father and the Son. It's as simple as that. If you are right with the Spirit of God, you are right with the Father and the Son. The person. And second, you are actually consciously and in truth dependent upon the anointing of the Holy Spirit. The anointing of the Holy Spirit to teach you. And that's what. Abide in Him. Now, little children, abide in Him that when He appears, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before Him at His coming. So you have the Spirit of God and you have the anointing of God that gives us the confidence that when Christ comes, we will not be ashamed. So please understand, this is what is happening. This is what is happening. So, the unsealing takes place. You know what? Let's go to Acts chapter 2 and verse 14. Just two verses we will read there. Peter stands. This is the day of Pentecost. Okay? Day of Pentecost. The first sermon preached post-resurrection. Peter standing up with the eleven raised his voice and said to them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and heed my voice. For these are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. The books are being unsealed. And Peter is the first one through whom the Spirit of God will speak as old prophecies are being unsealed. Joel wrote what Joel did not understand. The revelation is given to Peter. And Peter will say, this is what Joel said, in the last days. So the unsealing begins 2,000 years ago. And as the unsealing begins, you need to understand, when it comes about Jesus and all the things that are connected with the coming of Jesus Christ, remember I used an illustration. You enter into a tunnel. Right? You enter into a tunnel. And when you enter into the tunnel, the other side you see skylight has a small speck. But as you go further and further and further and further, the outside becomes clearer and clearer and clearer. Meaning, not only is this book locked when it comes to the second coming of Jesus Christ, as time progresses, it becomes clearer and clearer and clearer and clearer. Because you know what? A lot of things that were written... Even our fathers, forefathers could not understand them because they were locked 
not by God, but by time. Not by time. Because so many things that have, have come to pass, like I said, in the last two years, so much has happened in this world that a lot of things that I was written in the Bible starts making sense. Starts making sense. Starts making sense. But a lot of things, even two or three years ago, would not have made so much sense because time is a revealer. Time is a revealer. And that's what the Bible is talking about. He stood there and now the unsealing begins. And from there, there is an unsealing that is taking place. So be very careful. Be very, very careful because Christ is coming for a prepared people. That's why he's waiting. Two things he's waiting for. One, he's waiting because he does not want anyone to perish. Second, those who have gotten, he wants to prepare his bride. He wants to get his girl ready. So this is the need of the hour, the need of the time. So turn to Luke 21 and listen to what he says. Be careful. Take heed to yourself, <coughs> lest your hearts be weighed down with carousing, drunkenness and cares of life. And the day come upon you unexpectedly. Three things. Carousing, that is pleasure. Drunkenness, you are not sober. And the cares of this world. Be very careful. Be very careful. Like keeps telling people who call me for prayer, who come for counseling, you have problems, but keep it outside. You allow the problems to get in, you will miss the hour of his coming. When the prophecies are that the days towards the end are going to be so evil and troublesome, you need to know and prepare for it. You cannot take your eyes off your target. The eye is on him. Keep your eyes fixed on Christ Jesus. There are pleasures on one side, there is drunkenness on one side, and there are cares on the other side. You will say, I am not carousing, I am not drunken, but are you, are you sunk in your griefs? Or the responsibilities? Maybe you, you have so much responsibility, you are weighed down by the responsibility. God says, be careful. There was nobody who ever walked on earth who carried more on his shoulders than Jesus Christ. But after he had met his father every morning, early morning, he walked on through the day without having that burden. He taught us a way because you know what? You don't want to miss God's appointed timing. We don't want to be that day to come upon us unawares and we are unprepared. 35. For it will come as a snare, a trap. A snare, a trap on all those who dwell on the face of the whole earth. It will come as a trap on everybody. So it's not talking about some other event. It's talking about his coming. And then verse 36. Watch therefore and pray always. Not just pray always. Watch and pray. Watch therefore and pray always. That you may be counted. We wish this word wasn't there. But it is there. I can't take it off. You can put a sticker over it. doesn't change the truth. You may be counted. Now this is not about salvation. Salvation is for the unworthy. Rapture is for the worthy. Salvation is for the unworthy. Rapture is for the worthy. Counted worthy to escape. Not to go through. 
not to go through, to escape all these things that will come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. That's why God gave ultimately the church one entire book in the new covenant called the book of Revelation to which a special blessing is promised. Those who read, those who meditate, those who practice this book prepared, they are blessed. Special blessing given. Why? To be prepared. To be prepared. Don't get unawares, caught unawares. Because days are not easy. And if the days are easy, then it is dangerous. Carousing. Drunkenness. We are not talking about drunkenness as being drunk with wine or liquor. We are not talking about that. Where you have lost your spiritual sobriety. To make spiritual decision, you need to be spiritually sober. Do not be drunk, but be drunk, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Don't be so consumed by the world. That you lose your balance, spiritual balance. That you're walking around like a drunken man. Be careful. So the book of Revelation, you have Jesus personally giving that vision. Taking John in the spirit. Showing him things. And writing seven letters to seven churches. There are so many ways you can read these letters. So many applications. But to seven letters. We are not looking at the seven churches. But the first church is an extremely sound church when it comes to doctrine, when it comes to works. They have wonderful doctrine and they have wonderful ministry. But that church failed the cardinal test of love. In Revelation 2.5 Remember therefore from where you have fallen. Repent and do the first works or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Why? He says you have lost your first love. So look at the indictment. He says, I will come to you quickly. What will I do? He's not talking about rapture. I will just remove your lampstand. Now if you go to Revelation 1 and to verse 20, you will know what it is. The mystery of the seven stars which you saw in my right hand and the seven gold lampstand. The eleven stars are the angels of the seven churches. And the seven lampstands, the seven churches and the seven lampstands which you saw are the seven churches. So what is the lampstand there? It is a, he says, your doctrine is fantastic. Your works are great, but everything in the kingdom of God is motivated by love. And you have fallen away from your first love. If you don't return, repent and return back to your first love, I will come and remove the lampstand. He says, you will cease to exist in my eyes as a church. You may be gathering, but you will no longer be a church. You no longer will be an ecclesia. Because you gather in a building with a cross on the top does not make you a church. A church is a church if God says it is a church. And for a church to be a church, God has set parameters. It is not only doctrine. It is not only works. He says, why do you do what you do? 
Why do you do what you do? Because the entire law and the prophet, everything hangs on these two inches. Love God, love your name. He says, if that is not the reason you do, he says, you have just become a gathering, a club with good rules and good works. Even the Lord does that. He says, there's no love. So the first church indictment. When it comes to second church, there is no indictment. Nothing negative to that church. But no promise of escape. In 2.10, to them he says, Do not fear any of those things which you are about to suffer. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested. You will have tribulation ten days. Be faithful until death and I will give you the crown of life. He says, Smirna, you will die. You will die. You are going to go through tribulation. You will die. But still I expect one thing from you. Be faithful until death. If you are faithful till death, I will give you the crown of life. Pergamum is faithful, but false doctrine has infiltrated. So he says in verse 16, repent, or else I will come to you quickly, not so that you escape tribulation, no, I will fight against them with the sword that comes from my mouth. I will deal with your false doctrines. I will deal with you. I will get your doctrine right. He says, I will come and fight you. I will come and fight you. When it comes to Thyatira, there are just a few. But to them, now to you I say, and to the rest in Thyatira, as many as do not have this false doctrine, who have not known the depths of Satan, as they say, I will put on you no other burden, but hold fast what you have till I come. So to them, there is a promise given. Just hang in there till I come. Till I come. So there is a church to whom it's promised. Your doctrine is wrong. You've got a lot of things. But there are some among you in this church. There are a few who have not messed up their lives listening to that. They hang in there till I come. In Sardis. And to the angel of the church of Sardis write, These things says you who has seven spirits of God and seven stars. I know your works, that you have a name, that you are alive, but you are dead. Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die. For I have not found your works perfect before God. Remember therefore how you have received and heard. Hold fast and repent. Therefore if you will not watch, I will come upon you as a thief. And you will not know what hour I will come upon you. So there also there is a promise of coming. But if you look from verse 4, there are a few in this church, in Sardis, he says, who haven't stained their garments. So he's talking about different kinds of churches from this previous one onwards, which will be there in the last days. And in each of, each of these churches, there will be a remnant who have remained faithful. Who have remained faithful. That's what he's saying. For you have few names, even in Sardis. So don't just, that is a mainline church. Even in the mainline churches, there are, are always a few who have not defined themselves. Oh, don't say that is mainline. Don't ever think that way. In all these churches, there are a few people always who have not defiled their garments and they shall walk with me in white. Why? For they are worthy. What did Jesus say? 
You must be counted worthy. Like I said yesterday also. When you stand before God, you are not judged for your beliefs. To enter into the kingdom of God, you are judged by your beliefs. But to stand before God, you are judged by your words and your works. Your words and your works. Every word, careless word, he says, you will have to give account on that day. You will be judged for your words. And you will be judged for your works. You won't be judged for your doctrine. That is here. Your doctrine will take you in one direction or another. But when we stand before God, God will not give you a quiz, quiz examination on how your doctrines tell me the elementary teachings in Hebrew. You are not going to ask the doctrine. Because where you have reached is where your doctrine reached you. Now you will be judged by your words and by your works. When it comes to Philadelphia, the sixth church mentioned again, no indictment. Smyrna and Philadelphia are the only two churches, no indictment. Not even asking them to repent. Smyrna is not asked to repent. Philadelphia is not asked to repent. No indictment. Look at them. To the angel of the church in Philadelphia, right? These things says he who is holy, who is true, he who has the key of David, who opens and no one shuts, and shuts and no one opens. I know your works. See, I have set before you an open door and no one can shut it. For you have very little strength, have kept my word and have not denied my name. And in verse 10 he says, Because you have kept my command to persevere, I also will keep you from the hour of trial which shall come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. When that hour comes upon the whole world, he says, you will escape. So Smyrna has not given that promise. To Smyrna, he says, be faithful unto death. To Philadelphia alone is that promise given. But when that hour comes, when tribulation, because the question is not about rapture, the question is when. Nobody is questioning rapture. Everybody wants to know when, before or after. Kept an open door who dwell on the earth. And even to them, there's a word of exhortation in verse 11. He says, you know, hold fast. Behold, I am coming quickly. Hold fast what you have that no one may take your crown. Don't get lethargic towards the end of your race. Don't get. No, that is how the devil will distract us. When you are about to finish, about to finish. Always advise children who are in class 10 and class 2. I said, be careful. Because these are life-defining classes. In class 10, the best student, when he's studying very well in the fourth month of the academic year, he falls in love and he forgets everything else and he flunks. This is not the time for love. There is a time and a season for that. Again, class 12. One girl will wink at him or a boy will look at her. Gone. Best student is gone down the drain. You got distracted. And a lot of Christians are like that. They are running the race very well. They are absolutely on fire, zealous. And then something happens. They get distracted. And before you know, it's gone. The zeal is gone. The fire is gone. Everything is gone. That's why he tells Philadelphia, you have obeyed my command to persevere. Three qualities needed in the last days to finish your race. Patience. Endurance and perseverance, they are not the same. They are kind of always connected. Three things. Through the Bible it says, he who endures till 
the end shall be saved. You obeyed my command to persevere. Brethren, be patient until the Lord comes. Patience, endurance, perseverance. So get these things. How do I prepare? How will I be counted worthy of the Lord to escape all these things that is coming upon us? And it is coming upon us. So the question is, (coughs) where are we? Will it be rapture or capture? The question about rapture is this. Is it secret? Is he coming for the church alone first? And then later he will be visible to the whole world? This is where the confusion comes. Let's we have so many schools, but acknowledge them, love them, read them. All I tell all these pre, post, mid-tribulationists is don't create tribulation in the church. That is the Antichrist job and no, you don't have to do that. Hold on to your opinions, be kind to one another and listen to everyone because each one has his own points. The point is that the more you study all three groups, you can only get better prepared. You don't have to take your sword out and cut each other. That's how Pentecostal husband and wife fight. They cut with each other with the sword of the spirit. It is written. You shall love your wife. It is also written. Submit to me in all things. That's how they fight. Pentecostal husbands and wives fights are different. They are very scriptural. (laughs) When they fight, they don't, they allow the sun to go down on their anger. They will be sleeping with their backs against each other and both will be praying in tongues. Lord, I cannot understand her, so I'm praying in the spirit. She says, Lord, this man you gave me, I don't understand him, so I'm praying. They will quote scripture for that. So the whole issue is about tribulation. It's not that there was, there has been tribulation for 2000 years, but the difference of the last day's tribulation is Jesus' own words. You have to look at what he says and you have to take it very seriously. What he actually says, Matthew 24, verses 21, for then there will be great tribulation. Such has not been since the beginning of the world. Until this time, no, nor ever shall be. Who said it? Jesus said it. So there always has been tribulation. Now he's not talking about that tribulation. He's saying, now we talk about the tribulation the church has gone through, the time of Nero, the time of the Spanish Inquisition and all that. We say, you mean there is going to be a tribulation worse than all of this? Worse than all of this? Jesus said so. Worse than all of this. And unless those days were shortened, no flesh would be saved but for the elect's sake those days will be shortened. He's saying, if I didn't shorten those days, everybody will perish. Nobody will survive. Nobody will survive. Now, these things written did not make any sense to any generation except ours. Because this was not factually possible in any generation except ours. Do you know in the past two years, there is a word that is being thrown around which was never used, which is nuclear war. 
that's never used. Arundhati, never used. What was that? Nuclear war. And that's where the Ukraine war, and they're openly talking about using it. If you have threats going on, the Soviet, uh, the, um, the Russian defense minister saying that London will cease to exist. They're openly saying, you know, if a nuclear war begins, within seconds, the world will cease to exist. These things did not make any sense until our days. Until our days. Within weeks or months, Iran, who's been threatening always to wipe Israel out of the map, will become a nuclear power. We are talking about things which are being unsealed before our own eyes. And God says, when the world comes to that point, if it happens, all of us will perish. In the twinkling of an eye, we will be vaporized. It doesn't matter which part of the globe you are living in, nobody's going to escape. But God has his word written that when he comes, he will take the church out. He will gather the elect from the four corners. So he's not going to let this happen. Because his word is for our settled in the heavens. So when you see all these things happening, and you hear all, that's what God says, watch and pray. So when all these things are happening, we shouldn't get scared. We should be have a quickening in our spirits. He says, lift up your heads because your redemption draweth nigh. So there is a tribulation that is promised like it never before. In verse 30 and 31, and yeah, so the, yeah. Then, if anyone says to you, look here is the Christ, or there do not believe for false Christ, and false prophets will rise and show great signs and wonders to deceive possible even the elect. Let's go to 30 and 31. Then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven. Then all the tribes of the earth will mourn. They will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and with glory. And he will send his angels with a great sound of trumpet. They will gather together his elect from four winds from one end of the heaven to the other. The problem here is, in this, everybody sees him coming. This is where the confusion comes. This is where the confusion comes. So are you only coming and everybody will see? So what is this rapture people are talking about? Because this, everybody sees. It's visible to whole mankind. So the billion dollar question is, before this happens, is there a secret coming? Lord, I want to know on this thing. Because the elevator goes in two directions. It comes down and it goes up. So I want to know one thing. Are you coming down or am I going up? That is the question. Because when you come down, you want to come down on Mount Olives, it's going to split. Then the saints are going to rule with you for a thousand years. So if you're coming down, then I'm not going up. I'm talking to the generation that will be living when he comes. These things apply only to one generation. Only one generation. The generation that is alive when he's coming. All the others, it doesn't apply because they're already dead. The dead in Christ shall rise first. We are not talking about them. We are talking, every generation is living in this anticipation. In my time, he will come. If he's coming in my time, the question is, am I going up or is he coming down? Am I going up before the tribulation or I goofed up and he's coming down at the end of tribulation? That's the question. So there are a lot of tribulation saints who will believe 
after seeing during the Andy and Christ, some will survive, some will be killed, and he will call the elects from all corners. Is it that going to be? Or do I escape before all that? So the question simply ask is, if we are the last generation, to use the illustration of the elevator or the lift, what is going to happen? Are you coming down? Or am I going up? John 14, the Lord's own words about his second coming when he speaks, actually for the first time he makes, speaks. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. So there, he says, I am coming for you. And I'm taking you there. Okay. So here, this is the comfort. He's coming for us. And he's taking us to him. I'm going, I'm preparing a place. But that is not the second coming. In the second coming, he's coming down with the saints. And he's going to rule the earth for a thousand years. So this is not talking about that. He's not preparing a place on earth. He's preparing a place elsewhere. So these are the first words of the Lord about, about we can. I'm not, I'm not giving you a doctrinal statement. I'm saying use your own brains, ask the Holy Spirit, Lord. Because, you know, there are, there is no, well, the secret things belong to God. We, we have to go through scripture and we not be very dogmatic, but all we can do is prepare and count ourselves worthy. As what he says is worthy. And we go through these seven churches and see through these seven churches and take it personally what God is speaking to each church through the pastors. Those are the angels of the churches and see where do I fall short? Where did Ephesus fall short? Where did Sardis fall short? Smyrna is fine. Philadelphia is mine. You, you look at the commendations God gives the other five and the indictments he gives the other five and then looks at the commendation he gives the other two and try to personally apply that how because you can only prepare yourself personally. You cannot prepare another person. If you can prepare another person, then the words won't be written. Two will be in their bed and one will be taken. The husband can minister to his wife. He cannot prepare her. The wife can pray for a husband. She cannot prepare him. Each one only can prepare yourself. So this is a personal thing. It's a personal preparation. And that's where it comes. In his second coming, like this in his second coming, in Revelation 20, verses 4 to 6, I saw thrones and they sat on them and judgment was committed to them. Then I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their witness to Jesus and for the word of God, who had not worshipped the beast or his image and had not received his mark on their foreheads and on their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. But the rest of the dead did not live again until the thousand years were finished. And this is the first resurrection. The first resurrection. Blessed and holy is he who has part in the first resurrection. Over such the second death has no power. But they shall be priests of God and of Christ. And they shall reign with him a thousand years. This is talking about when Jesus comes physically on the planet earth. One set of the people who will be resurrected are the ones who were beheaded during tribulation. They will rise. But he is coming with another set of people. 
is coming with another set of people. Okay, it's coming with another set of people. Now, if you go to Jude chapter one, verse fourteen and fifteen, now Enoch the seventh from Adam prophesied about these men also, saying, "Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his saints." To execute judgment on all, to convict all who are ungodly among the soul. He's coming down with 10,000 of saints. And there is a resurrection of those who have beheaded during tribulation. When all of them will reign for a thousand years. Okay. So the problem is the saints who are coming down, when did they go up? These are questions we need to ask. Like I said... This question is applicable only to the last generation. Every generation has to live as if they are the last generation. Heaven's best kept secret. Yeah? Matthew 24. Of that day and hour, no one knows. Not even the angels of heaven, but my father. So we, we saw that already. Nobody knows that. It's a secret. Nobody knows. We can only prepare. But go to Luke 21 and verse 32. Assuredly, I say to you. Now, if you look at Luke, Matthew 24 and Luke 21 and Mark 13 are the eschatological chapters in the Gospels about Jesus talking about his coming, his second coming. Matthew 24, Luke 21, Mark 13. In Luke 21, a whole thing of list is given, things that will happen before he comes. And then in, after that, he says, Assuredly, I say to you, this generation will by no means pass away till all things take place. He says that generation, that generation that is living, when all these things start happening, they will herald his coming. We have a term in theology which is called convergence. Convergence means a lot of things have been prophesied. You talk about wars, talks about pestilences, talks about earthquakes, talks about famine. But when all these things start converging together, watch out. Start watching. Especially when it starts happening at a global scale. The difference here is that even if it happened in a global scale earlier, nobody knew it. Like I said, there are people who lived through Second World War without knowing there was a world war going on. Today it's not possible. Today it's not possible. Media is infiltrated. The communication system has been revolutionized literally. So when all these things happen, that generation... That generation, if you happen to be that generation, we happen, I'm another generation, you are another generation. It's shown by die and not die. Some people die monthly, some people die daily. Okay. So my generation, your generation, I don't know which generation is going to come. But if he comes, he says, be warned, convergence. And verse 33 to 36, heaven and earth will pass away, but my, my words will no means pass away. Take heed to yourself. Again, he says, be careful. Let your hearts be, do not lest your hearts be weighed down with carousing, drunkenness, cares of this life, and the day come upon you unexpectedly. For it will come as a snare upon all. So watch therefore and pray always. He comes back to that again. He says, you be that generation, be careful. Be careful. 
See, it's only we in this generation, when we look into our father's generation and we are able to say, oh, it couldn't have happened them because we have more knowledge. But if you were to be transported into their time zone, they look at it and say, it's happening in our generation because they are looking at with the information they have. They have. But as time is progressing, knowledge is pro- progressing, knowledge in the world, and the knowledge about the kingdom of God, the prophetic knowledge increases, our eyes and ears should be tuned to what the Spirit is doing. Be very, very careful. That is the whole question. So, the, like I said, tribulation has always been there. But this is different. Why is it different? Go to Revelation 6, 16 and 17, then 14, 19 and 15, 1. And they said to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of his wrath has come and who is able to stand? So what is this? This is the wrath of God. 14.19 So the angel thrust his sickle into the earth and gathered the wine of the earth and threw it into the great wine press of the wrath of God. This is the wrath of God. Now, we don't understand this illustration, but the Jews and the people of that time, you have these huge watts, B-A-T watts, into which the grapes are put, and there is holes at the bottom, and the people with washed feet, not unwashed, washed feet, get it, and stamp on it, and the juice comes out. So, the Bible says, the blood that will flow on the earth gives you a level and the distance because the wrath of God has come. He is going to allow destruction to happen. So they understood. 15.1 Then I saw another sign in heaven, great and marvelous, seven angels having seven last plagues for in them the wrath of God is complete. So the question about tribulation is that will I go through? John 3, 6, 36. He who believes in the Son has everlasting life. And he who does not believe in the Son shall not see life. But the wrath of God abides on him. So if I have believed, if I am truly, truly saved, the wrath of God does not abide on me. I have escaped the wrath of God. So if you are the last generation living, and when the wrath of God is going to be poured upon, you need to understand something about the wrath of God in the last days. Okay, last days. I don't understand that words, but I can try to, I'm, I'm trying to think scientifically, putting aside my spiritual cap and putting my scientific cap. There's one thing the whole world is trying to discover. They're trying to discover immortality. They want to live forever. And I don't know if they will crack it. And if they crack it and they live forever and the wrath of God comes, men will want to die but can't die. It's written. They will wish. They will wish. I wish whatever potion, medicine, whatever scientific breakthrough, I wish I hadn't taken this. Death was better. But we are not. We are not meant for wrath. We are not meant for wrath. We are a child of God. We were never meant for wrath because we passed the wrath. The wrath of God fell upon Jesus Christ on the cross. We took shelter under him. We believed in him. We have escaped the wrath. 
Go to 1 Thessalonians 5.9. God did not appoint us to wrath. God did not appoint us to wrath, but to uphold. I'm just trying to tell you what scripture says. My job is to present the scriptures. That's why I said today we'll read lots of scripture. Your, your wisdom, your hope, your faith should not rest on the wisdom of man. It should rest upon the word of God. Okay, And go back and study. Because this is the greatest event the church has been waiting for 2,000 years. It's nothing greater than this. So the question is, will the church escape? Will the bride escape? So we have to look through scripture everywhere, which is because almost every epistle is written to prepare the church to go home. We pick here and there, whatever we like from scripture connected with this world, we name it, we claim it, and we blame him. Okay, that's a new theology, name, claim, and blame. But that was not what scripture was actually. Okay, yes, we should live here, we should occupy till he comes. But the whole thing is that we are... You should think yourself as a pilgrim. Doesn't matter how much you like the pilgrimage, you want to go home. You should think about yourself as a sojourner. And our forefathers in the faith suffered for our sake without even knowing what they were doing. Abraham, yes Lord. You will never build a house? Yes Lord. How long will I live in the promised land? 100 years. 100 years, no house? No house. Only in a tent? Yes. I serve? Yes. How long will you live? 175? 100? Yeah. That man lived more than his father in the promised land. Did he build a house? No. Jacob, did he build a house? No. Why? Because they were example to us. They lived as sojourners and pilgrims in the world. Did they understand what was happening to them? But we understand. You know what? Poor Abraham had to live 100 years in a tent for my sake so that I will live like a sojourner in this world because my home is there, not here. I was not going to get attached here. It's not that you shouldn't have an apartment. or it's not the point. There's no attachments here. We have something which we should ask the Spirit to do in our hearts which is called Teflon coating. Nothing of the world sticks. Nothing sticks. That's how you live. So you need to realize, people have gone. These are all people. Because there's something written in scripture. That's in First Corinthians 10, 11. It's a very powerful scripture. Okay, All these things, meaning practically everything that happened in the past, have, that have been written, all these things happened to them as examples. Who? For whom? And they were written for our admonition, our training. Why? Upon whom? Ends. So it's Especially the people who live in the last of the last days. All these things will start making sense. Go back home and do your homework. Read from 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 1 to 10. And look at the five things that kept the first generation out of the promised land. And beware of those five things. Even if it's a small thing in our own minds of grumbling and complaining. Kept them out of the promised land. And in the new covenant too about his second coming, we are warned about grumbling. The judge, the Lord is at hand. We take this grumbling and complaining so very lightly without realizing if I am a grumbling and a murmur and a complainer, I am not worthy to escape. Then when tribulation comes and you go through, they will say, Lord, I'm so sorry I complained. Those days were better. I shouldn't have complained, Lord. Because now I have so much to complain about. 
All your complaining and grumbling will be over during tribulation. You will be grateful for every mercy of God before the tribulation started. You will be truly grateful. So learn these lessons. These things are not learned in one day. We learn to live this out. In 2 Thessalonians, chapter 2, verses 1 to 3. Now you know what is uh, one to. Now brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him, we ask you not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled either by spirit or by word or by letter as if it from us as though the day of Christ has come. Okay? Let no one deceive you by any means for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first and the man of sin is revealed and the son of perdition. He says one thing you will realize. The church will start falling away. Not that they stop gathering. But you will see they start falling away from the doctrines that are once and for all handed over to these saints. Like I said, May 10th, coronation of King Charles III. Couple of billion people watch all the pageantry and everything that is going to happen in Westminster, in the church, and Shelby, the Archbishop of Canterbury will be doing all this thing. But do you know who Archbishop Shelby is? He's pro-gay. And he's for ordaining Gay clergy. So a British king, who is supposed to be the custodian of faith, is going to be crowned by an archbishop who is gay. Who is for gay. Do you know where the church has come to? Where we have come to? So that's why you see this falling. You look in the western world, which is supposedly the Christian world. What do you see? You see falling away. This will start and the man of sin, the man of lawlessness is revealed. Lawlessness. The man of lawlessness. Come to verse 6. Now you know what is restraining, that he may be revealed in his own time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. God saying, the mystery lawlessness is like yeast you put into the dough. Inside the yeast is working. You put it, everything looks normal in the night. When you come in the morning, the whole thing has risen. Why? Because the yeast was working. The mystery of lawlessness is working in the world. One day it will be suddenly rise up. But who is keeping him down? He who restrains. The restrainer. Who is the restrainer? The Holy Spirit. But where is the Holy Spirit? In the church. So if he's removed, the church is removed. There is a restraining church. There is still a church which has a voice. We will stand against this war, this evil. We will refuse to compromise. Numbers may come down like Philadelphia. It does not matter. You have not denied my name. Philadelphia. You kept my word. You did not deny my name. Though you are very little. You are not a mega church. You don't count your money. You count God and you count the souls. So you refuse to compromise. You did not deny my name. You kept my word and you did one thing. You obeyed my command to persevere. You never quit. You never changed your doctrine. You never stopped loving. You never changed. And therefore, I'll keep an open door for you. But here, 
the restrainer who sold. How does he restrain? Because there are still sane voices. There are still sane voices. There is shaking that is happening around the world. You have to be blind not to see it. But there are still voices that refuse to compromise. When the whole West is compromising, you know, there are pastors and priests and bishops in Africa, in Uganda and Rwanda who refuse to compromise. And tell the Anglican see that we will quit and we will come out if you continue. We refuse to accept your new changes. We will hold on to the faith that has been once and for all. That's why God said the last will become the first and the first will become the last. Now it's a reverse. It is the Africans and the Asians speaking to the British and the Americans. You compromise, we will not. Yes, we got the gospel through you. Now we are preaching back to you. This is the gospel. You change, we will not. We will stick with the word. The question is we need to ask ourselves, do we have deep-rooted convictions? It will not change because Philadelphia had. The restrainer. The restrainer. So who is the restrainer? The Holy Spirit. Where is he? The believing church. So the assumption is when the Holy Spirit is lifted, the ecclesia is gone. The ecclesia is gone. And if the ecclesia is gone, the man of lawlessness, the man of perdition, and the demonic is given free hand. This is what you wanted, man. You wanted the flesh, the world, and the demons. You can have it for a short period. The devil is let loose on earth. He is given. And if you have a picture in First Samuel 16, 14, I don't know whether I gave it to you. This is a picture in the old covenant. What happens? 16, 14. But the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul and a distressing spirit from the Lord troubled him. When the Holy Spirit comes, the demonic comes. The world will see like the days of Noah, the days of Lot, what demonic activity is. You wanted them? You can have them, God says. I will take my church. I'll take my spirit. And I'll take my girl out. It's for you. He says you can have them. Okay. So how does he come for the church? How does Jesus come for the church? We have to look through. Like I said, one of the earliest letters that was written by God through Apostle Paul and given to the church other than James' letter. They say the other one was Thessalonians. It was to answer this question. This question. Let's look at First Thessalonians chapter 4. <clears throat> I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, Concerning those who have fallen asleep, those who have died. You always said fallen asleep in Christ. You fall asleep, you wake up there. Lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. So this verse is applicable only to that generation that is living when he comes. So he's assuming he will each generation lived in the assumption he will come in my time. So he says, some of our dear brethren have died. They are asleep in the Lord. We are alive. He says, when he comes, their souls, their spirits will come with him. We who are alive, what will happen? 
verse 16. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout. With the voice of an archangel and with the trumpet of God. There are three things. But let me tell you, the world won't hear it. Those who have ears, let them hear what the Spirit says. Can you hear it with his ears? No. This God can speak where one person can hear and the other person cannot see. God can do like in the road to Emmaus, where he can walk with them and speak to them and close their eyes so they don't recognize him. This is not going to happen where the whole world sees. This is for the church. He will descend with the shout. He himself will descend. Jesus will shout with the voice of an archangel, with the trumpet of God. And first, what will happen? The dead in Christ will rise. Basically, what is saying is that those who have been buried, wherever, however there, what happens is their souls, their spirits will be united to their bodies, but their bodies will be different. They will receive their resurrection bodies. That is what they are all waiting for. How long, how long, how long, how long, how long they are waiting? Because nobody has got their body. Jesus alone is the one of the new creation who has a body. Nobody has got a body. They are all waiting for their body. He is the first one to rise from the dead with the new resurrection body. And we know the state of that body. He can go up and down. He can go through walls. The doors shut. doors make no mistake. He eats. He travels faster probably than the speed of light. He's in heaven in one second and with his disciples the next second. So there's a new body you're going to receive. And they all know the nature of the body and the character of the body. The glory will differ depending upon your faithfulness. But that is the nature of everybody's body. And they're all waiting for that body. And God says everybody won't get their body. Everybody will get it together. So all those are dead are waiting. But where are they? They are with Christ. So when they come with him... The dead in Christ will rise first. And then, then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So we are, he's not coming. We are going up. So we are going up. He's coming down, but we are going up. But in his second coming, we are not going up. We are coming down with him. So he says, suddenly everybody, in Corinthians 15, he says, in the twinkling of an eye, there will be a transformation. Even those of us who are alive, unsaved, counted worthy, in a twinkling of an eye, our bodies will change. One, everybody will have the nature of that new body. Second, we will differ in glory. Our glory won't be the same. Our glory will be measured to our, according to God's judgment. He's like we have, no, in movie industry you have stars, then you have superstars, then you have mega stars. You know, as stars differ in glory, the word of God says. And the saints who have brought many into righteousness will shine forever and ever. That's why we keep telling you to witness. Bring at least a few people into the kingdom of God because it will be shown on that day. Your glory. Don't sit like pickle in the jar. Your job is to go out and witness. Lord, let me be a witness. Lord, let me be a witness. Let me bring a few souls into the kingdom of God. Why? It's a promise given. Your glory will be different because you turn people to righteousness. So that's what happens. And, and thus we shall be with the Lord. So there's something that is happening where the dead and the living all are transformed in a twinkling of an eye. Verse 18 is interesting. Therefore, therefore, comfort one another with this word. Every generation who was going through troubles and trials comforted. The Lord is coming. The Lord is coming. 
Now, our, our, our greetings are different. Praise the Lord. But the greetings in persecuted churches are different. Maranatha, Lord, come. Maranatha, Lord, come. Come, Lord Jesus. Their greeting is different because they are always creating this expectation. What am I waiting for? I am waiting for the Lord's coming. That's what Corinthians Paul says. Maranatha, come Lord Jesus. And if anyone does not have it, let him be accursed. Meaning, let him stay back. God take the others. That's how they learned. This is how you comfort one another. Next time you see somebody in trouble, try telling them, no, don't worry, Jesus is coming. I don't want to hear that. I just want to get out of my problem. But that is the way you get out of all your problems. End of all problems. How do we see? Chapter 5. Like I said, we'll read a lot of scripture. Because scripture has more power than any man's word. We'll read words. Read, okay? Read it carefully. Now concerning the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you. What does it mean? Thessalonian church in Thessalonica was a biblically sound church. I don't have to write to you, but I'm still writing to you. I know you all know all these things. How did these people all this know, know these things when this is the first letter? Think about it. With so many translations and multiple Bibles in our hands, we don't know anything. These people don't have a Bible and don't know everything. What kind of a church? That means they've listened very carefully to the preachers. Because nobody has any Bible with them. New covenant has not been written. This is the first letter that is being written. And they know everything about the times and the seasons because they are carefully studying the old covenant because the veil has been lifted and they are able to understand the new covenant through the old covenant. They are Berians. They are Thessalonians. The Berians were more noble than the Thessalonians. Thessalonians were noble. And he says, you know, concerning the time and the seasons, I don't have to write to you. You know. No need. For you yourself know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. So they heard very well. Jesus teaching, Olivet teaching. They had heard, rehearsed it over and over and over again. In the church, they did not fall asleep. And how long will they had no watch to look to see when the sermon will stop. And preachers were not like me. They were like Apostle Paul. We'll keep on preaching until a man falls and dies. Raise him up and continue preaching. They never stopped this. Because they were pre- their agenda was clear. They were preparing a people for the Lord's coming. And the people were being prepared for the Lord's coming. So you have a congregation that is ready to be prepared. And a pastor who is preparing them. So they knew all things. And he says, for you yourself know perfectly that the day of the Lord shall come as a thief in the night. For when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them. In the world when they talk about peace and safety. Peace and safety. Sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman and they shall not escape. But you brethren, but you brethren, are not in darkness. So that this day should overtake you as a thief. Should not be in darkness. This day should not suddenly catch you by surprise. Why? You are all sons of light. And sons of the day. Sons of light. Sons. God is light. Go back and read 1 John. The first chapter. God is light. And anyone who says he's in the light 
and walks in sin is lying. You are in darkness. You are sons of light. Sons of the day. We are not of the night, nor of darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. It's not talking about physical sleep. We all need to sleep. It's talking about spiritual sleep. Let us be sober and let us watch. Why? For those who sleep, sleep at night. Those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But let us, us who are of the day, be sober. First thing God says, be sober. Be sober. Be sober. Putting on the breastplate of faith and love. Faith. Only one thing matters. Faith working through love. Just put it on. When you stand outside against the enemy, you hold the shield of faith and the sword of the spirit. But we are talking about inside the church. Inside the church, you don't need the shield of faith and the sword. Cover yourself with the breastplate of faith and love. Absolute, total assurance in what God has said. And your heart is consumed by the love of the Father. That's why the Bible says, do not love the world or the things of the world. The problem is, if you love the world or the things of the world, the love of the Father won't be in us. And if the love of the Father is not in us, we will not be able to either love God or love man as God wants us to love. Because it is the love of the Father. It's not my own love. It's not my own capacity. It's the love of the Father that enables me to love man and God the way God wants us to. What happens if you love the world and the things of the world, that goes. So he says, put on the breastplate of faith and love. And as a helmet, the hope of salvation. Secure. Absolutely secure here. No doubts. Am I saved? Saved? Unsaved. Saved? Love me? Love me not. Love me? Love me not. People wake up. Today I feel saved. Oh, I think I'm unsaved. By evening I'm unsaved. What happened to your helmet? What happened to your helmet? For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. Therefore, what should we do? Comfort one another with these words and edify one another, just as you also are doing. Question is, are we doing it? Are we that generation? Like every generation, the saints prepared themselves. Maranatha. When Paul is writing his letter to the Corinthian church, he says, Maranatha, come Lord Jesus. Every letter. John writes, the spirit and the Jesus says, behold, I'm coming quickly. The spirit and the bride says, oh Lord, come. Is that a response? Is that a response? Or like we were in the, when we grew up as young, we were in the Catholic church, we had this response. Lord, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. We didn't even understand what mercy was. We responded with our mouth. Now, after getting saved, we are understanding what those words mean. Behold, I am coming quickly. It's not the bride said, the spirit and the bride. This is a spirit-filled bride. She said, come Lord. So how do you prepare? Because we need to prepare. That whole thing is about preparation. We need to prepare. Titus 2. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. Teaching us that 
denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously and godly in this present age. Looking for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So if you are looking for the glorious appearing of Jesus Christ, there is a particular way you need to look. And that is what you will use grace. Anugra ke ke liye istamal karate hai? Pavitrada ke liye. Dharmic jivan ke liye. Grace is the power of God. What are you using grace for? What are you using? It's, like I said, grace is like money. What are you using money for? To buy what you need in this life. God says, I am come with grace upon grace. And out of his grace, we have received blessing upon blessing. God says, are you, are you receiving first the teaching of grace? And then are you appropriating a grace to live this way even as you are looking forward? Looking forward. Like I get a long time back, I gave you an example. Oh, we are Indians. We are Indians. So that itself is a statement. My wife is not. Wife is not. Whenever I'm dealing with my wife, I don't treat her like an Indian. I know how she's finicky about everything. So I will go before her like the king's herald. I'll go before her and see wherever she is going, it is all spick and span. Why? She's not Indian. Toilet she will use. I'll even wipe it because I know if it's dirty, she will start immediately scrubbing and I want her to rest. Why? Because she's not Indian. Because if he's so holy and pure, no, I can behold him. And when his glorious appearance is coming, how does the church prepare? How does the church prepare? What is the teaching of grace? What is the use of grace? There's a preparation. So grace not only teaches, it empowers you. You cannot live this life on your own. It is not possible. That is what grace is given for. Who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself. That is the reason. We purify because who is going to own us? The kind of person you are going to will demand your preparation. You know the person, be holy as I am holy. Then you look into holiness, you will see even the great prophet saying unclean, unclean, unclean. So if he's that holy Lord to be in your presence, what do I need to be? And God says, first I have cleansed you. I have declared you are righteous. Now allow me to sanctify you. That's the teaching of grace. The teaching of the grace is only for those who are looking forward the glorious appearance of Jesus Christ. Second, Second Peter chapter 3. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens will pass over with great noise and elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? And verse 14. Therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things, be diligent to be found by him first in peace. First thing, see that you have peace with God and peace with man. Then he comes, Lord, will you delay for 10 minutes because I have a list here. All the people I need to forgive and ask forgiveness from. 
Do you remember the guy who got bitten by the mad dog? And he went to the doctor late. The doctor said, it's too late. You're going to be rabid and you will die. And he started taking a piece of paper and writing furiously. He said, are you writing your will? He says, no, I'm writing the list of people I want to bite before I die. I'm telling you, you need to read Corinthians 15. The coming of the Lord will be like blinking of an eye. It's a fraction of a second. You will not have time to make peace. No one will have time to make peace. So he says, when he comes, be sure you're found in peace. Live in peace with God. Every day, live in peace with God. And as far as possible within you, live in peace with everyone. Peace. Pursue peace with all men and godliness, without which you will not see God. So when Jesus is coming, you need to see him, right? Otherwise you will not see him. So peace without spot and blameless. Not perfect, blameless. James. God is telling a list of things which His grace enables us to become. James, therefore be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. So this is a huge virtue in the kingdom of God. Most of your troubles are not because of troubles, because you are not patient. You don't want it now, you want it yesterday. In the kingdom of God, patience is a huge virtue. Be patient. Till when? James says, till the Lord comes. Until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently for it until it receives the early and the latter rain. You also be patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. So this is another virtue along with righteousness and godliness. You need to do what? Okay, Lord, I think I'm righteous enough and godly enough. Come. God says, be patient. You may be righteous enough. You may think you're godly enough, but there are a lot of others who are not. So be patient. How long will that one take to repent? God says, wait, I waited this long for you to repent. Now you have repented. Why are you in a hurry? Everybody should repent. I told that old joke in Kerala. No, you have this limited stop fast passengers. They don't stop anywhere. But if if the bus is empty, and if you show your hand, he will slow down and say, your ticket will be from the previous point. He will say, no problem, he'll get in. Once he gets in and the bus is empty, he doesn't want the bus to stop anywhere. Somebody else the next stop, he says, he says, don't stop. This is a limited stop. Are stopped for you? But once I have got it, Lord Maranatha, come Lord Jesus, let everybody perish. I want to go home. God says, be patient. There are so many who have to get into the boat. Of course, don't, Lord, don't you know the exact number? He says, I know even in Noah's time, I knew only eight would get in, but I waited 120 years for the rest. Didn't you know? I knew. Then why did you wait 120 years? Because that's who I am. A God who is patient with you. That's why we are saved. Otherwise we wouldn't be saved. When we were sinners and ungodly and enemies of God, God was patient with us. You want to reign with Christ Jesus when he comes. There is a virtue for those saints. They need to be patient. So the Bible says be patient. You also be patient. Establish your hearts. 
for the coming of the Lord is near. Matthew 24, 11 and 12. Skip the other one. <clears throat> 12 and 13, actually. Many false deception will be rampant. And because lawlessness will abound, what will happen? Where is this lawlessness? Inside. See, lawlessness outside does not affect you. <laughs> lawlessness outside gets inside, that is when the problem comes. You become lawless. And when lawlessness starts abounding, abounding, it starts getting in. What happens? Love grows cold. That's the greatest danger of the last days. Men, women, and children, especially teenagers, shall be lovers of themselves, not lovers of God. That's the problem. Mirror, mirror on the wall. I can frame your own question. Who is the most miserable of all? Me. Don't tell that this one is more miserable. My misery is worse than hers. So focus on me. Can be anything. When me comes, self has come, the love of God goes away. We are living in a selfie age. It's a selfie. We're living in that age. Everything worthless is pictured and put it upon your status. We are living in that age. People are lovers of themselves. Lawlessness will abound. What will happen? The love of many for God and for the other will grow cold. It is dangerous. But he who endures. So I told you about patience. We saw that in James 5. We saw about perseverance. Now he says, you have to endure. You have to endure the lawlessness and the hostility and still continue to keep loving. He will be saved. He will be saved. So as we wind up, we go back to that only church to whom a promise is given. Which is not given even to Smyrna. I don't know why, but Smyrna said, you are living in a different time zone, dispensation, I don't know. You have to die. You have to die. Verse 8. I know your works. Please understand that. It's a very terrifying thing. If Christ comes to me and says, I know your works. If after that, is what is said is good. Shant hai. It's like those days, remember, when the teacher came and she put all the answer scripts. First one, because they will put in order, lowest to the highest. And the first one, fail. Mine is not in that. Then, further, 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 you go down. 
Fear, weeping is going, gnashing of teeth is going on. Outer darkness, some have entered. And you are palpitating, you know. So when he comes to all these churches and he says, I know your works. And they will say, on that they will say, Ayah, please don't tell it to anybody. Let it be secret between, because I know my works, you know my works. I don't want anybody to know. Think about it. He comes and says, I know your works. But his, their works was good. What did he do? He kept a door open for them. See, I've said before you an open door. So it's this thing, open door concept is put in different contexts. But here in this context, this door is to escape the trial that is coming upon the whole earth. He says, you church, there's a trial, that's a test that is coming upon the whole world. To you alone, Philadelphia, I'm going to keep an open door. You can come through. But to come through, you have to continue in the things which you are doing now. What is the first thing? First thing you need to realize, you have little strength. That's the most difficult thing for modern man to accept he has very little strength. Because of, of all this Google knowledge, everybody thinks they know everything. When they know nothing. Google has destroyed our lives. Every idiot has become a wise man. First thing to understand. See, like I said yesterday. Matthew 5, 2. To Matthew 7, 28, I think, 23. It's the Sermon on the Mount. And he ends up the Sermon on the Mount with the illustration of the wise man who built his house on the rock. Then he says, the wise man who built on the house on the rock is the one who listened to these sayings of mine, went and did it. That's why I said yesterday, very boldly I said, even if you don't read the rest of the Bible, if you read the Sermon on the Mount and ask the Holy Spirit to keep it, you will still be an overcomer. Because that is how you build your life. And do you know how it begins? Blessed are the poor in the... Is there anybody here? Jo atma mein daridra hai? Because sometimes our regional languages make meaning very clear. So, Atma me daridra hai? Or let's make it more colloquial. Atma me ta abhikari hai? Jo arhek din parmeshwar ke saamne jaakar bhik maangte prabhu aapke anugrah ke bina me ji nahi sakte? Are you a beggar before God and says, Lord, without you I cannot do anything. Is that how your day begins? Blessed are those. That's how he begins. He's turning the entire understanding of the Jewish community head upside down. He says, this is how the kingdom works. Ask yourself, is that how you began today? Is that how you began? These are his sayings. These are the sayings. Blessed, 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 blessed. None of those blessed over there fit in with what the world is telling us and what we want to happen in our lives. Is that who we are? These sayings. That's what God is talking about. Philadelphia. You had very little strength. You had very little strength. And have kept my word. The greatness is not that they kept their word. The greatness is in what condition they kept their word. You had very little strength. 
But you refuse to compromise. You are not a very big church. You are not a very prosperous church. You are not a very strong church. You are a very little small church. You had no strength, no money, no influence, nothing. But you refuse to compromise. That is how you have to see the context. You are not a mega church where millions are coming in every Sunday. You are not that kind of a church. You are an ostracized church. You are a condemned church. You had very little strength. And this very synagogue of Satan was against you. But you kept my word. So you need to understand. Everybody is not judged. You will see one man who kept the word. Another man who kept the word. Another man who kept. But three will be judged differently. Each one will be judged with the level of strength he had. You had very little strength. What did you do? You kept my word. Two, you didn't deny my name. When you said, hallowed be thy name, you meant it. You meant it. You refused to deny your name. I gave you my name. When I baptized you, I gave you my name. You kept my name. You told, I can't do that. Why? Why can't I do that? I can't do that because I'm a Christian. I have a name that's not mine. It's given. So if it's given, it can be taken. I have to consider myself to be worthy of that name. You kept my word. You did not deny my name. Then, next verse, which I gave you. Because you have kept my command to persevere. Yes, I heard your tears. I heard your cry. How long, Lord? How long, Lord? How long, Lord? But you didn't quit. You never quit. How long? How long? How long? But you didn't quit. You persevere. In the midst of hostility. Never quit. That's why I said church in Philadelphia is important. You didn't quit. You kept my word with very little strength. You didn't deny my name. And you never quit. You hung in there. Year after year after year. If you fell, you wiped your wounds, licked your wounds, and you got up and started the next day again. You never lay down there and said, I quit. No, you never quit. You persevered. You persevered. Therefore, I also will keep you from the hour of trial which shall come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. Therefore, I will keep you to the church of promises given. So this church is specific, very, very clearly mentioned. What did they have? They had zeal for his word. They had zeal for his name. What else? Go to the first verse. Verse 7. And the angel of the church in Philadelphia. You know what Philadelphia is? The church of brotherly love. You are a church where I saw Koinonia work. Did you hear about Koinonia last week? Says you were a church where I saw Koinonia. You were a church where brothers dwelt in unity. Therefore the anointing would flow from the head to the collars to the edge of the robe because koinonia was found real in you. You are a church of brotherly love. 
So even when you kept my word, and even when you did not deny my name, even when you were persevering for the sake of his name, his word, and his cause, among you, I saw something. You lived as brothers and sisters. First Peter, Second Peter chapter 1. But also for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith. That's where we begin. By faith, through grace, we are saved. Or by grace, through faith, we are saved. We receive the grace of God. And we are saved by faith. Now add to your faith, virtue. In Hindi, Sadgun, virtue. To knowledge, Gyan. To knowledge, self-control. You need that. And then, to self-control, perseverance. I see your perseverance, you have endured, you are patient, and to perseverance, what is that? Godliness, and then to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, love, agape. There's something called brotherly kindness, which is koinonia. Agape is basically the sacrificial love, but churches and homes exist because of Philadelphia. Even between, see, you you, you, you may be husband and she may be wife, but in the Lord, you are brother and sister. There is a Philadelphia that exists in the home and in the church. You will never ever forget that she is my sister. She is my wife. But when we reach into eternity, she is my sister forever. We are all brothers and sisters. Add to this brotherly kindness. Koinonia. Rest on the pillar of brotherly kindness. That is the church in Philadelphia. Romans 12.10 Be Kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love in honor, giving preference to one another. How does brotherly, how does brotherly love operate? In a home, how does it operate? That's Anna, that is Akka. Nobody bothers about it. Unless there is envy and jealousy and rivalry. Your brother takes you or something, you're not. You always prefer the other one. Because that's my Akka, that's my Anna. He says, how do you operate in the church? Jealousy, envy, or brotherly love? That's Philadelphia. First Thessalonians 4.9 Concerning brotherly love, you have no need. I should write to you, for you yourself are taught by God. So brotherly love is taught by God. There's a teaching that is from God. How brothers should dwell together. How a family should dwell together. It's a teaching. It's a divinely taught. You have been taught. I should write to you for you yourself are taught by God to love another. What is that? It's a brotherly love. That's why jealousy, envy, hatred, bitterness, wrath, anger, all in the office is fine. It cannot be in our homes and our churches. It cannot be. It's not possible. It's not be, uh, you are short-circuiting yourself from the escape hatch. There's a door kept for Philadelphia. They're walking in brotherly love. Hebrews 13.1 Let brotherly love continue. You know what comes in two? Which one of the children always writes in her prayer request? Let brotherly love continue. And if I'm right, the next one is about be chained. Right? 13.2 or 13.3? Yeah. Do not forget to entertain strangers for by so doing some have unwittingly entertained angels. 
and I think, yeah, and three is remember the prisoners as if chained with them, those who are mistreated since yourself you are in that body. God says, you know what? Don't forget. This another side of the body which you don't see. They're persecuted day and night. Be chained to them. What chain? Because you realize they are my brothers. They are my sisters. It's an eternal fact. So let brotherly love continue. Ask these questions. First Peter 1 22 Since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the spirit in sincere love of the brother. Sincere love of the brother. Love one another fervently with a pure heart. 2.17 Honor all people. Love the brotherhood. When you go to the world, honor everybody. Fear God. Honor the king. But when he comes to the church, love the brotherhood. It's a different ball game altogether. And 3.8 Finally, all of you be of one mind, having compassion for one another. Love as Brothers, love as sisters. Did you see why Philadelphia was given an open door? Did you see why? Jesus holds the keys of death and Hades. He holds the keys. He has the key of David. He has the key of death and Hades. In Revelation 1.18 is very clear. He has the keys of death and Hades. So if he opens that door, you can die. You can die. You can die. I am alive forever and I have the keys of Hades, that is the underworld or hell, and of death. So he opens the door and says, you will not experience death or Hades, the grave. You will not experience the grave or death. I keep it open for you. Nobody can shut it. He says, the keys are with me. I decide who goes in, who stays out. But I will tell you the criteria. Your strength is irrelevant. You may be very weak. Stick to my word. Don't deny my name. Accept my command to persevere. And above all, let there be brotherly kindness and love among you. And he says, no one can shut that door. And I will keep you from the trial that is coming upon the whole earth. This is life. Not just doctrine. Doctrine is for life. <coughs> you have doctrine, then you have koinonia. <coughs> Go back and read how the book of Acts church was. See how they are loved. How they are loved. And you will realize that's how we are called to love. So as we end, Revelation 22, 12 and 13. And then 22, 17. Behold, I am coming quickly. And my reward is with you, with me, to give to everyone according to his work. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. And the Spirit and the Bride say, Without the Spirit, you cannot say it from your heart. You will say it from your head. For you to actually mean what you are saying. You need to have surrendered to the spirit. The spirit filled bride says the spirit and they have one voice. There is no discord between the Holy Spirit and this church and this person. 
the spirit and the bride in one voice says, Maranatha, come Lord Jesus. Whoever desires, let him take the water of life freely. So the question is, what do you say? What do you say? This morning, we have heard it's the second coming of Jesus Christ. We don't know how it's going to happen. When you look, you see there's a public coming of it. The whole eye, every eye like lightning flashing. Everybody will see. And there is some and he will come and he will be here for a thousand years. He's coming with the saints. But on the other side, there seems to be a translation. Where one set of people seems to have taken up. They go up. They're not coming down until later. And I believe there's a taking up. And in between is a wedding of the Lamb. While tribulation and the wrath is being poured over here. And there will be many tribulation saints. There are different. I don't. See it's like on the day of Pentecost. People got saved. 3000 got saved. That was not the only. After that salvation has been happening for days together. Right? So there are many raptures in the Bible. There's the man child who's taken to heaven. We are not even sure who he is, what is he talking about, who is it. There are the two witnesses who will lie dead and all the world will rejoice and they will give gifts to one another and suddenly after three and a half days they will rise on the faith and they are taken up to heaven. So if you look at that, there are many translations. There's Enoch who went first. There's Elijah who went first and he still haven't died. They probably are the two witnesses. The first, everyone in his order and the first is Jesus. And I do believe when you read Revelation 20, there is a final rising of the dead. Those are the tribulation sins. They rose also and reigned with him for a thousand years. Blessed are those who are part of the first resurrection. All the others who have nothing against their name, good. They have to wait a thousand years. A thousand years later, we see the sky flying, the heavens rolled roll up as a sleeve before Jesus. All the dead are standing and books are opened. And the Bible says, if anyone's name was not in the book of life, he was cast into the land. That is the second resurrection. But in the first resurrection, how many stages are there? We don't know. So we cannot be dogmatic and say it is not. Because all these things are there in the Bible. All we can do is see the standards God has put. Because if we are the last generation, and every generation has to live like that. If we are the last generation, the Bible has told us, how every generation should be. He spoke it through all his apostles. And ultimately in the, in the seven churches. Starting with Ephesus. Laodicea. Do you know he has nothing good to say? Absolutely nothing good to say. Their judgment about themselves. And his indictment about themselves are completely different. He says we have need for nothing. And he says you are blind. You are wretched. You are poor. You are naked. Christ in one church alone. He says, will you let me in? The other church, the bride and the spirit say. Here the spirit is outside. He's trying to get them, get inside. Even to them in his mercy, in his kindness, he promises. But the fact of the matter is out. They completely misjudge themselves. And he says, if you don't repent, I will spew you out of my mouth. What does it mean to spew you out of your mouth? You know what? Every church is God's mouthpiece on earth. He is saying, I will not see that your words have any effect. 
you will not speak on my behalf. You may speak, you may gather crowds, but you are not speaking on my behalf. In heaven, it will not be accepted. Your behalf, because why? Because you have a lot of strength. You think you don't need anything. But you are reprobates. So this one church, and each one has to say, Lord, I want to be part of that church. And I want to see life completely differently today, Lord. Starting today, Lord. As we stand on our feet. He's saying, Lord, I'm going to make my decisions in life in the light of your second coming. If I make this decision today, how will it affect my preparation? If I take this decision, how will it affect my preparation? If I take this decision, how will my preparation for your coming? Because what I'm doing is I'm preparing for your coming. Only when you see that as the main focus, the rest will start making sense. If you don't see that, it will not make sense. The center has to hold. Now, if you knew the old bullock carts and all, there is a center wheel and then to that wheel are the spokes. There's a center that is holding the spoke. What is the center that is holding the church? It's the hope of his coming. If you don't have the hope of his coming, this life won't have any sense, make any sense. You will try to make your own sense and meaning out of this life. And you will write your own meanings. But when you say, you know what, I am here, but you know what I'm waiting for? I'm waiting for him. And I'm preparing for his coming. Then everything will start making sense. Everything will start making sense. This is the blessed hope. We have been birthed to a living hope. How? By the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He was raised from the dead. So we are raised, birthed to a blessed hope. So what is our hope? I am also going to be raised. Even if I die, I will be raised. And if I am alive till he comes, I am going to be raised. That is our hope. So everything factors that in. Arundhati, everything factors that in. Okay, look at me. I told you young students, learn here. Okay, I'll catch you because you have to be a good student. Okay, everything factor that. Don't change your target. Otherwise, it will not make sense. Not make sense. Go read First Corinthians 7 and all. The whole chapter on marriage. And the questions and the answers Apostle Paul about marriage is also connected with his coming and the age in you are living in. All those who are dreaming about getting married, go read First Corinthians 7. It will comfort you. What does the old covenant says? Let the bride get out of the bridal chamber and call her fast. Why? Because the day of the Lord is near. Do you know if he's coming tomorrow, what does today's all your agenda has no sense at all? I'm, oh, I'm getting married on May the 4th. 3rd is coming. Everything. That is how you live your light. Okapaitali comes. But till he comes. Not occupy. Occupy. No, occupy till he comes. So what I'm focusing on, I'm on he's coming. And holding on to everything he said, hold on till he comes. So this morning, last day of this fourth month, as we begin the fifth month in a few hours time, change your heart and your mind. Look unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith who endured the cross and despised the shame because of the joy that was set before him. What is the joy set before you and me? He's coming.
So we endure the shame, endure the cross and despise the shame because we have another joy. He is coming back for me. What did he tell his disciples? Let your heart not be troubled. I'm going to my father's house. You know what? To prepare a place for you. If I'm going, I'm coming back. I'm coming back for you. That's our hope. That's around which everything is centered. So this morning, Father, we just come to you. We just want to bless your son, Lord. Not only he came and died on the cross, lived that life, died and rose again. Even now he's busy interceding for his bride, preparing a place for his bride. And we are so complacent, wandering around, making our own plans and agendas, don't even giving a thought for him who laid his life for us and still working for us. Father, we pray today there would be a quickening in our inner man, spirit of God, that it would turn our hearts and our minds and our eyes to your son. For he is the fairest of 10,000, the lily of the valley. He is the balm of Gilead. He is the son of righteousness. He is the soon coming king. And when he says, behold, I come quickly, help us, O Lord, through your spirit to say, Maranatha, come Lord Jesus. Till then, we'll occupy everything you told us to occupy. Help us to live our lives in the light of what we have heard. Then we will have the helmet of hope firmly placed on our heads because our hearts are shod with a breastplate of faith and love. And let brotherly love Continue in the church and in our homes. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. As we go into a new month, I pray the presence of God will go with everyone. Keep each one. Protect each one. Empower each one. Let each one walk in the grace and in love and in faith. For in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. With the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of the Father <clears throat> and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit rest and abide with each one of us. Amen, amen, amen. God bless you.